Hello, can everyone hear me? Okay, hi, welcome. Um, thanks for being here so early on a Saturday. Um, I'm Kia Collier. I report on public education for the Texas Tribune. Um, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I'm thrilled to welcome you to the sixth annual Texas Tribune Festival uh, and to our panel, Grading the Star Test. Um, the discussion we're about to have will be the first in a series of discussions that will take place today in this room about public and higher education topics, uh, including charter schools, urban public ed, and the state's new campus carry law. Um, just so you know, there will be an hour and a half lunch break today, starting uh, just after noon, uh, during which you'll be able to find a wide selection of food trucks on the main mall under the UT Tower. Uh, and at the end of the day, there will be a reception at the AT&T Conference Center where you picked up your badge. Um, and since it's still um, hot and muggy and might rain, uh, a friendly reminder that there are shuttles going between all the venues today, so um, there should be signs with um, showing you where the stops are. Um, our chat this morning will last um, about 60 minutes uh, and will include a brief 15 to 20 minute Q&A session at the end, and I know there are probably lots of good questions out there. Um, there will be microphones, well, there's a microphone right here, and you guys can line up um, at that microphone for questions um, as we're wrapping up. Um, before we get going, I'll ask you to please silence your cell phones and also uh, use the hashtag TTF for Texas Tribune Festival if you'll be tweeting uh, or Facebooking. Uh, and now let me introduce you to our fabulous panelists. Um, down here at the end, uh, Jimmy Don Acock has represented the clean area in the Texas House of Representatives since 2007 uh, and is retiring, sadly, here in a couple months <laughs> uh, at the end of his current term. Um, for the past several years, he's chaired the House Public Education Committee, where he's championed major legislation, reforming testing requirements and accountability measures. He also has served on a special commission that recently recommended changes to the state's testing and accountability system, which we'll uh, get to shortly. Um, Teresa Trevino, uh, to his left, uh, joined Texans advocating for meaningful student assessment as a founding member in 2012 uh, and currently serves as the board president. Uh, TAMSA has successfully lobbied for a variety of reforms to the state's testing and accountability system in recent years. Uh, Trevino, a child and adolescent psychiatrist, also has served on the Special Legislative Commission alongside Chairman ACOG um, that recently recommended reforms. Um, Donna Bohorich <laughs> was appointed chairwoman of the State Board of Education by Governor Greg Abbott in 2015. Uh, she was first elected to the board as the Houston Area District 6 representative in 2012. Um, she spent a lot of time this year traveling the state gathering feedback on the state's testing and accountability system uh, and orchestrating a large-scale online survey that indicates widespread unhappiness with, with how things are being done, and uh, she'll talk about that. Um, who am I forgetting? Mary, <laughs> Representative Gonzalez. Uh, Mary Gonzalez has represented the El Paso area and the Texas House of Representatives since 2012. Uh, she also serves on the Public Education uh, Committee and the Agriculture and Livestock Committee. Uh, previously, uh, she worked at the National Hispanic Institute and as the Assistant Dean for Texas, uh, sorry, for Student Multicultural Affairs at Southwestern University. Um, she's also expected to finish her PhD in education uh, this December with a focus on curriculum and development. So, um, expert here. Um, <laughs> okay, um, for those of you who haven't, um, maybe, I'm sorry, Thomas. I did this last year. I'm Donna's traveler. Okay. There's a lot of you. Um, Thomas Ratliff 
serves as vice chairman of the State Board of Education to which he was elected in 2010. Uh, when he's not debating textbooks or <laughs> curriculum standards with his board colleagues, he owns and runs the Ratliff Company, a governmental relations consulting and lobbying firm. Um, Ratliff, uh, the son of former Texas Lieutenant Governor Bill Ratliff, announced last year he would not seek re-election to the board. Okay, now, <laughs> um, for those of you who haven't uh, maybe obsessed about this already, which I did, um, I'm gonna acknowledge that the title of the panel um, is sort of incomplete um, in that we have the actual literal star test, its contents and the standards that it covers, and then the state's accountability system which holds schools and students you know, accountable and responsible for their, their performance. So I was hoping to talk about that um, kind of relationship first. Um, you know, I don't really know of anyone who's completely happy with the system as a whole. Um, so I wanted to start out by asking the panel, um, you know, whether the problem is more with the actual test and its contents that it covers or with the accountability system and the stakes involved. And I know a lot of you are going to say both, <laughs> but if you could um, kind of parse it out, I think that'd be helpful for people um, who are not as familiar with the re that relationship. Whoever wants to jump in. Chairman Acock. <laughs> Whoever wants to jump in, Chairman Acock. I want to hear from everyone on this. Well, so. it, it's no great secret that I, I have misgivings about the instrument itself. Uh, I, I think that the combination and the question formation that combines both a fairly elevated level of reading requirements and especially when you apply that reading requirement compounded onto the math requirements in the same question, it, it's very difficult for, for many children, especially children with difficult language barriers, to understand those questions appropriately. And so I, the instrument itself bothers me to some degree. I think the hardest thing from my perspective has been trying to find balance in, in any political endeavor. The, the heat of public opinion drives the pendulum very far one way at a time, and then it drives it very far the other way at other times. And I think that's happened to us some in the testing, where we started off with little or no testing many years ago, and then the pendulum began to move, and we began testing, and then we began testing more and testing more and testing more, and finally the pendulum has gotten way too far to one side. And trying to find balance is always a difficult situation in a political endeavor, and, and, and the testing accountability is no different than that. I don't want to do away with accountability, but I also don't want to test it into the point of being an in impediment to, to children's learning. So finding that balance point has been what I've been trying to work on. Sure. Uh, Teresa, I mean, your group talks mostly about stakes. Um, do you yes. also have a problem with the content of the test or what? Um... Well, our concern is that we feel that STAR is an incredibly blunt instrument that shames and blames the parents, uh, the, the students, the schools, and are, then the schools are held accountable based on this instrument. And so, as Chairman Acock alluded to, we're seeing last session 20,000 parents signed a petition stating, and from one district alone, stating their dislike and their complete, complete unhappiness with STAR. And there seems to be a disconnect between what is on grade level, even within the TEA, and what shows up on the test. And so what turns out being a math test, in essence, is a reading test with multiple 
problems and issues that have to be solved that children become very frustrated. They get angry. Some of them become so anxious they have to be treated by professionals. It, it promotes for districts to have a school vomiting policy. And so I would say, in agreement with Chairman Acock, the pendulum has swung too far towards this rigorous assessment. And granted, as parents, we want rigor. We want a high bar. We want high standards. But we also want a fair assessment, one that meets the kids where they are, that can measure how they're learning and what they know. STAR does neither. So one of the things that I thought was pretty valuable that the board undertook was to go around the state and have community conversations with members. I mean, we met uh, community members, over 700 total around the state, and then we did the online survey. Uh, specifically because the, um, you know, we really, unless you come to Austin, and they were hearing a lot from folks in Austin, but you know, the question is, is that widespread? And I'd say the survey really showed the temperature, if you will, of how comfortable people are with the current way we're doing this. Can they you give people a background on the survey? Just first, it was 27,000 respondents online only, and then you also did these um, community meetings as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah um, the reason that the board that we undertook it is because we're located all over Texas. There are 15 of us that serve on the state board, so we thought it was a great opportunity for us to meet with our communities, provide, uh, pull in this feedback, and then give it to the uh, Next Generation Assessments and Accountability Commission that met this year. And, um, and so we did quite a bit of work all for the first half of the year and then uh, provided them the assessment in the summertime, the results. And, and, you know, to have 27,000 people take a 20-minute assessment and I asked them, we asked them to look at videos uh, to get on the same page about the history and current state of assessments and accountability so they'd have some common understanding before they answered the survey. Um, I mean, that was a pretty high bar to set for a, a survey and to have that much interest just shows you how much people want to weigh in on this particular topic and how passionate they are about it. And what, what did they say? So basically, um, it's not so much that they disagree about the goals of, of what we're trying to accomplish, but the way we've executed it to date has fallen far short of expectations. What, what's the next step after that survey? I just wonder, like, you know, uh, what do we do that, with this information? Yeah, I've I, I heard it's been at several hearings already. <laughs> and so people are hearing about it, uh, the survey results from the hearing. Now, it wasn't, you know, an academic survey with all that kind of stuff, but it is a good temperature gauge, I think. Um, you know, I think it really calls the state to think, be much more intentional and much more specific about the way that we go about these increases in with rigor. It's a cautionary tale, if you will, about it's not that people are against uh, moving our kids forward and making sure they can do critical thinking tasks that we assess on state assessments. It's that when we move in that direction, we don't bring everyone along with us. We just put the blunt instrument, I think, down in front and say, this is, you know, this is what you're going to do, and then we, and then not make sure we have a transitional uh, plan, if you will, and appropriate development, both for the teachers and the students, to be able to be ready for that kind of increase in rigor. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't work out, 
like we're supposed to, and we want to mm -hmm. just do away, so we don't stick with it long enough, and we keep changing, and that's the other thing, the constant changes. And the state, the state board is responding to this in some way by, with, with curriculum, right? Is that, can you talk about those changes? I'm going to let my colleague jump yeah, in on that. go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think the, to the original question, the two phrases come to mind when I think about where we are is, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And, any, and like a lot of government programs, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm, a, I'm pretty much of a purist when it comes to this. I'm a, I'm a devout local control guy. And I think the original intent of standardized testing was a general measuring tool or a diagnostic tool to compare districts across the state with varying degrees of ethnicity, economic backgrounds, et cetera, I mean, you name it, resources, finances, et cetera, just as a general idea of how are they doing. Um, and it's turned into something that makes kids rub their rosary beads and affects your real estate values. I, we've, we've gotten off course somewhere. And so what we've done from the curriculum side, and, and we don't have anything to do, you know, we get, I probably get more calls and emails about testing, which is something we have nothing to do with, than I do any other topic. Um, but from a curriculum perspective, we've been intentional in our standard used to be to develop curriculum in a way that it could be taught with an academic year. And that's not the, that shouldn't be the measurement. The measurement should be can it be mastered within an academic year, number one, and number two, before the state's test. Because in English language arts, they don't have 180 instructional days or however many minutes that is. They've got 130. So it's not fair to give a teacher and a third grader 180 days worth of content when they've only got 130 days before the state's going to tell them how well they're doing on it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we need to, to, candidly, I think the STAR acronym should be replaced by the word trust. And the more they talk about it and the more they drill us with it, the more they're telling us they don't trust local districts. Um, the key should be to assess them put the information out there so parents can be empowered to know how their district is doing. These, th these issues are a whole lot more easily addressed with a local school board than they are with 181 members of the legislature or the 15 of us, candidly. You and Sherman Acock have both expressed some interest in a kind of divorcing, if you will, testing from accountability. Can you both talk about what that might look like um, or how that would be done in a way to still uh, hold schools accountable and meet federal um, you know, requirements? I think the accountability system in lower grades, and we talked about this a lot on our committee this summer, in, in lower grades you're almost reduced to the point that any sort of accountability has to meet federal guidelines, which is to test every kid every year pretty much. And in lower grades it's just about a test pretty much. And then we found it very difficult to find other things you can measure. As you move up in grades, middle school to some degree, and certainly in high school, you can find what we call non-test measures in that accountability frame. And so it's, it's almost like two different systems. The, the lower grades are so test dependent that it's problematic. The, the upper grades, you can broaden that and find non-test measures that see how school districts are doing in a larger sense. Uh, and that, that's posed a problem legislatively because some districts are heavy elementary, and some districts are heavy high school, and some districts are one or the other, and so there's all sorts of situations. But legislatively, it's posed a, a pretty significant challenge to divorce that 
accountability system from the test itself. And, and I agree with that. I, I think it's difficult, if not impossible, to divorce the two. Um, but I think, I, I think first and foremost, I think we need to get out of under the, under the federal guidelines. I've been advocating for years to, to tell the feds, thank you, but no thank you. We don't need your $2 billion. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, have the, I don't have the burden of trying to balance a state budget without it. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we love the customers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why it's easy for me to opine about it. Uh, you know, we love to cuss about what the feds do to our classrooms, but on the one hand, then we're addicted to their money on the other hand. So I, I don't think you can completely divorce the two, and I certainly wouldn't advocate that. I think it, candidly, if we want well-rounded kids, we need a well-rounded accountability system. And Chairman Acock has, has started us down that road. As he mentioned, there are other non-test measures. I still think there's not enough. Uh, I think fine arts ought to be in there. I think athletics ought to be in there. If, if it's part of the K-12 experience, and it's the things that communities across the state tell us are important, it ought to be important to the state of Texas, not just to the locals. And the state says, here's what matters. It's, it's the thing that resemble my socks. It's filling in bubbles. Uh, and that's an oversimplification. <laughs> but any employee in any business in any country, when told by their superior, Here's what matters for you to keep your job or how we're going to grade whether you get a raise or not. If they want to keep that job, that's where they're going to focus their time. It's not, it's not a foreign concept. And so when the test is what matters, the test is what matters. Is this about producing, I mean, well-rounded kids, or is it about making sure that schools are not doing a good job or, you know, don't slip through the cracks and, how, you know? Uh, you need to get in here. If you want to. Let Mary get in first. Okay. <laughs> So do I believe that the tests are designed to create well-rounded kids? Of course not. Do I think that's the function of schools? Yes. Do I worry? I, what I, I love what my chairman said. The fact that the tests do not recognize the diversity that exists across the state. My younger brother's here for my little brother. It's his birthday, and he's here at 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> and he's a teacher at Lanier High School. I, he, I, I was asking him on the way over here, how do you feel as a teacher who is teaching a grade that is going to be tested about the test? He's, he's like, well, I really worry about my English language learners. Because the test, the math, he teaches math, is more about reading than is about math. And so I think, considering the diversity that exists in Texas, we can't have a one-size-fits-all. And if you think about whole students, you know that all students are different. And we talk about holistically developing them, then we know that the test and the accountability system don't necessarily match up. And the larger problem of that is now in 2017, when we implement A through F ratings, we simplify a very complex, it, it, complex individuals, stu um, student bodies, communities, and then the state through this A through F, and it, it ignores and makes invisible so many important functions of, of the, both micro and macro dynamics happening in our state. Okay, we can get back to A through F. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's a big topic. Be a whole new panel on that. <laughs> yeah. that Chair Wine, do you want to? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, the challenge in this, I think, uh, and and I'm sure the legislators have. I mean, this is really what the challenge is. I think all of us are local control people that we believe that you know a lot of that should be pushed down at, to the local level. The problem is, you also have a need to provide equity across mm -hmm. the system. And to make sure that, that students um, in you know, Brownsville and El Paso, Amarillo, Houston, whatever area of the state um, are being 
uh, held to the same level that the expectation is the same uh, in instruction and across the state. And so that's where the difficulty becomes in. So what's too much and what, it's that balance issue that I think is really a key. But, but the problem with that, and I, I completely agree, in my district there's 263 colonias, right? So the kids coming from the colonias, when I was in high school, my, my, my peers were taking a shower in the high school because they didn't have showers at home. And so when you already know that there's kids having different experiences across the state, and then we complicate that even more with different funding, right, where some school districts are getting less money than other school districts, and then we say, okay, now you're held in the same standard. Are we, are we, making, are we setting it up where some kids and some teachers and some districts fail? And that's, that's the hard part. And I, think, and I think a big thing, really, in all of this, it's all about high stakes. It really comes down to that one test, one day no matter where you came from. If you had a hard time getting to school and you have the whole year, if you're a migrant worker, if you're a kid who's coming from you know, an affluent background, you're not gonna have trouble getting to school. So, I mean, in my, my opinion, the STAR is actually testing what you bring to the classroom, not what you learn in the classroom. And that's a so socioeconomic problem. status, is that what you're referring to? Yeah. yeah. That yeah. and I think so much other levels of diversity, whether it's um, students with disabilities or, other, or other, right. other areas of difference that don't account for a testing that we, the testing that we have right now in our mm -hmm. system. And there's no, um, there is absolutely no room for looking at, um, I mean, there is talk about growth, but there's not an understanding that if your brain is trying to process two languages and trying to understand and be fluent in two languages, it's going to develop and get there a bit slower right. than a person who's just working monolingually. So there's none of that built into the current system or even the accountability system. Mm -hmm. So until we broaden ourselves, until we as a state begin to really take in and embrace that we are a diverse population, this is, this is going to continue to be a problem. Right. And it's going to continue to be used as, oh, look, our schools are failing, when actually they're not. They're doing a fabulous job because these are the students that come to their schools. The data shows that English language learners, in particular, struggle with STAR. Um, do you have thoughts on ways to test, like, you know, assess them in a way that would be um, I mean, different or, you know? There are a thousand ways to do this, but I'll give an example. And Chairman Acock has been great with helping me with this. We had a bill last session that said, if you just recently immigrated to this country, you should have at least two years, ideally more, but we could, thought we could only get two years until you have to take the test. Because we know that language mastery takes at least four years. That could not get through the legislature because people had some stereotypes about these students, right? And so. The first thing I think is we recognize that language mastery, specifically for recently, recently immigrated students, we need to give them some time to acculturate into our school system, and we don't even give them more than 60 days right now. How much time would, would it take? Well, or what, I, yeah, what would it look four like? Four years is what research shows. Four we asked years, for okay. two. The legislature gave 60 years, two years ago, 60 days two years ago. Okay. So if you, if you came here, let's say, for example, in my district where a lot of families were fleeing the violence in Juarez, then they had to come to school. If they'd been in school 60 days, they, they have to turn around and take the test. Do we think realistically that that student is ready to take our STAR test? 
No. So now we've just traumatized the student who's already traumatized through, through, through having a migration process and then saying, oh, you're doing bad, and then that school's doing bad, and that teacher's doing bad. It really ignores the realities of what's happening across the state and in communities. Well, and to dovetail on that, there's a, a little cell phone company called Nokia that some of you may have heard of, and they have an office in Capel ISD. And so we're not just talking about kids immigrating from Mexico or Spanish-speaking countries. We're talking about kids from Finland. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many of you took Finnish in college, <laughs> but not many of us probably. And so how do you get a teacher who has never been exposed to the language? Moreover, Plano ISD has 180 native languages spoken in the home. And those kids, after 60 days, have to take the test in English. Assuming that the teacher can even communicate with them in their language to learn not only the language, but economics is hard enough for me in English, much less in a language I don't understand. So it's, it is a big, big issue, but the, the fundamental failure in this whole thing, I think, is too many state-level elected officials believe that if it's not tested, it's not taught. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, my wife taught high school Spanish for six years, and it is not a state-tested course. But miraculously, kids learn to speak Spanish in Texas, or German, or French, or other foreign languages that aren't tested. So the, the premise that if the state doesn't test it and, and wait, rub your nose in it and brand you with a scarlet letter because of it, uh, I just, it's a failed premise. And so we just, we've got to get back to trusting our teachers and principals and local school boards. I love the word, I'm sorry, I love the word trust. I think it's really important because not only does it show from uh, that leadership is entrusting the local localities, but we are also as leaders of education losing trust from from parents and teachers and students, and I think that's really important because that relationship has to exist. As a legislator, I can't go ask my community to give more money to public schools if they don't trust public schools because we have set them up to fail. And is it no wonder that 85% of ELLs are failing the English exam on the first go around? I mean, this is something we've already known. We knew this with tax. We know this now with STAR. This is not new information. This is not new data. The same with our learning different kids. So we have to begin to think outside the box. We have to get rid of STAR, it's broken. Think of something different and new and think about how we can make our schools accountable in a way that brings in the community, not something that separates and pushes people away because that's what this is doing. Mm -hmm. That's what this test is doing. That's a good segue into, um, I wanted to ask you and Chairman Aycock about um, your service on the Commission on Next Generation Assessments and Accountability, which released recommendations recently. Uh, for me, I, I covered those recommendations, and the draft copy, I believe it was the draft copy of the report, said get rid of STAR, basically. That was one of the recommendations, and then it disappeared. Um, <laughs> the next day, and we were, and I was really confused, and I was trying to figure out tape. how that happened. Um, and you know, the, it y'all made, y'all made, some, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Y'all, you know, and y'all made some like pretty significant recommendations, but they were, you know, um, not as weighty as a lot of people wanted. And Teresa, you voted against them, right? Um, I didn't sign the report. You didn't. And sign I don't report. think any parent in the state of Texas, having read that report, would have signed that report, because first of all. It did, not, it did not get rid of high stakes. And that's what we have been pounding on the Capitol steps for five years now, been talking about. Secondly, it added three more tests during the school year. Without removing high stakes, 
We've all seen what happens to our classrooms on test day when we take STAR or test week. You shut it down, you have to shutter the classrooms, no lunch, no recess. I mean, it, it, it wreaks havoc on the school. So without that kind of protection, I couldn't possibly sign that report. And my idea for the Next Generation Commission was we were gonna be thinking of the next generation. STAR is the current generation, and we left it. And to me, that's not, that's not forward thinking. That's not thinking ahead. So I, wouldn't, I respected and got to know wonderful people on the commission. Our legislators were fabulous. There was wonderful discussions going on about what else we could do aside from STAR, using um, national uh, norm reference tests, for instance. Uh, begin to use a measure of, or tests or assessments that colleges and universities actually look at. No one looks at STAR. My kids have both gone to school, applied in-state and out-of-state, and no one once asked them for their tax score or their STAR scores. They're looking for their SAT or ACT. They want to know how they did on their AP exams, their IB, if they happen to have gone to a school. But we had a discussion. We had people in charter schools. We had our legislators. We had our State Board of Education, everybody involved in the discussion, but then it didn't get to the final report. Plus there was just, in my mind, the whole voting on things didn't really come to pass. It was just sort of the will of the chairman at the time, and I think a lot going on with our TEA. So couldn't put my name on that report. As much as I respect my fellow commissioners, I just knew that no parent would sign that report. Were there any recommendations you did? think we're good and that you know we're... one thing everybody agreed on wholeheartedly no discussion I mean everybody was like oh my gosh yes keep the individual graduation committees Senate bill 149 keep those in place and that was supported by the survey too mm -hmm. very much that's so. legislation that allows uh, high schoolers to graduate with well it allows for them to exams. have attempted to take the exam and and there's a whole list of parameters I mean there's about eight or ten of them and, and it allows for them to come before a committee to review. Now, they have to have a minimum. A, a, the maximum they can fail are two exams. And they have to have attempted to take them a few times. It's not like it's just an easy pass. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's different parameters. And there might be extra work that the committee is going to ask of the student. But it's what we're looking for is for a system that looks at the student more holistically. In our school, we had an ELL student, Chinese, who said, I just could not pass that US history. I, the language, the nuance, mm -hmm. very difficult for me. He'd taken it several times. He was so thankful for the committee. And now he's gone on to community college. So in a way, this will open doors for kids. And so I can tell you right now, from Tamsa's point of view, we're going to be stomping, <laughs> asking for Senate Bill 149 to not sunset. Okay. We'll be in committee talking with y'all about that, too. Chairman. So I think um, one of the responses on the survey that was overwhelming is that students shouldn't be held back based on the STAR results, based on the state test results as far as going to the next grade. But the question is, of course, no one wants to support social promotion, like just pushing kids through. There are seniors. They still can't read. I mean, no one wants to do that. So if we don't... Uh, hold kids back and actually the research shows it doesn't help anyway because there's so many unintended consequences of holding children back uh, at later grades and so um, we're going to need to think about how to um, 
you know, move forward with and not have social promotion. I actually get kids educated, so we need to figure out some way that we address those children who did not meet the minimum threshold to go on to the next level, but not hold them back and then have all those other unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think is really important, and Mary, uh, Representative Gonzalez, brought this up, um, you know, we, we just heard at the board on Monday last week at our uh, Educating the Children of Poverty conference that we held uh, with the commissioner regarding the neuroscience um, that's coming out about the way the brain adjusts to uh, traumatic events, if you will. And so it squeezes out the room, if you will, and I know Dr. Trevino can speak more to that, um, squeezes out the space, if you will, for learning because of the need to handle stress and stressful things. Mm -hmm. And so it can be changed through education. There's no doubt about it. That's what the science shows. But, but um, you have to recognize that you've got that situation for, for many kids. I think a lot of what we need to do is start back with something that Mesquite ISD is actually trying right now that I'm pretty excited about that I've heard uh, is, is happening. That's very high economically disadvantaged um, district and Dr. Vrunlin there has started a, a program that is um, more about starting from what kind of profile of a student do you want and working back from there. Set the systems up to support the profile of what is it you want to see in students? What do you want to see in educators? Set the system up back from what's the goal and then let's let's go work yeah. back from there and, and set everything up to align. Yeah. It's an alignment problem, I think, now. We all have the right goal, but we don't have not put all the things in place to professional yeah. development, support, uh, that's going to support that goal. Yeah, it's extremely complex. Chairman Aikok, I wanted to ask you, I, what do you think the legislature is going to do with the commission's report or do with testing next session? Do you have any... <laughs> uh, has enough legwork been leg done for them to do you know, anything substantial, or is there enough political will to get rid of the star test or what, you know, uh, be really extreme? I, I hope that at least the Education Committee will read the report. <laughs> wow. That would be it's a good a start. Bar, yes. <laughs> that would be good. Set your expectations. Really high. <laughs> really set that bar high. <laughs> read. Um, I think it's always difficult to overcome inertia in the legislature. And so all of these issues will move slowly. I think an emphasis toward more college readiness standards being brought into the accountability system, I think that will probably get traction. I think the legislature, some legislators would immediately vote to just get rid of all tests and thumb their nose at the $2 billion. So that's always a possibility. <laughs> um, but, but that has financial implications that are pretty, pretty serious because most of the things we're talking about actually doing to help children require money. And so, so finding that balance again is going to be hard. Um, do I think they'll do away with testing? Probably not. Uh, I, I just don't see that likely to happen. I think an emphasis on getting rid of the high stakes to the degree possible. Uh, but those stakes inevitably creep in all the way from property values to, uh, to promotional standards and employment decisions and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so getting rid of them is, is a much harder task than most people think. But I think there will be 
some movement that direction. Okay. Representative Gonzalez, any cosign? No, I mean, I, 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 I agree with everything the chairman said. Obviously, he's the chairman, so he would know, but. <laughs> um, you don't have to agree with me now, Mary. I'm not coming back. Well, <laughs> he's a short timer. Uh, you can do Now's your chance. Disagree with him. Now I'm, that's that, what you're going to No, but we still have committee next week, so oh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but. But I do think, I agree, that there is a little, I think there is a lot of pressure from our districts with parents and teachers that there needs to be some type of change. I, I think what's very difficult is, unfortunately, this should be one of the things, along with school finance, that we focus a lot of our energy on. And then there are other conversations that have taken over the political world of Texas politics, like bathrooms and, and things that, you know, we really should be working on figuring out how to build trust with our communities and fix tests. And, Sometimes that's not always a priority is happening, specifically in the upper echelons of state party leaders. I think the portfolio idea that is being trialed is pretty important to bring, to make sure people know. The writing portion uh, is not required by the federal government. And so we're looking at, or they're trying, um, and that's going to happen this year. And there were districts that signed up for it to be in the it's not called a trial. What is it called? Pilot. 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 Yes, pilot program. Um, in order to kind of see how that might work. But, you know, the thing that I'm encouraged about that is, uh, you know, often because we test in fourth and seventh grade, fourth and seventh grade become the writing years when, in fact, every year needs to be a writing year. And that's just the reality of, of the unintended consequences of testing at a certain, mm -hmm. you know, and we end up emphasizing that way. And I think that's why we're not seeing the results for the writing exams even that we're doing now on the start because we're not, not every year is a writing year. Sure. And so if we go to a portfolio, which, which is more holistic, looking at uh, over mm -hmm. the course of all the grades that where we have standards, the commissioner can set the framework based on the standards that have been provided by the English Language Arts and Reading and then look at a portfolio of how students are doing in all the grades where there are standards for writing. I think it's much more holistic. And so it gets away from the one test, the one day, those things I like. Well, and unless we're raising a whole generation of reporters on deadline, nobody turns in their first draft of anything. Exactly. Maybe an email or a tweet. Not but, even you know, reporters. Not even I've, a tweet. I, 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 I've never heard of somebody say, you know, these kids just communicate too darn well these days. Yeah, you nobody know, we, says that. Good editing is good writing. And so exactly. instead of teaching them to write fast and to write a personal narrative, whatever that is, let's teach them to be good writers and editors and think about and, you know, take the Lincoln approach. Write it, set it in a drawer, come back to it in three days, and, and rarely does it look the same through that lens. But let me be less diplomatic about next session. As much as I respect Chairman Aycock, he is always the, the modicum of diplomacy. Um, and and he's and why he's so highly revered because he's he's much more even keeled than I am. Uh, I think the House does a lot of good things on public education, on testing and accountability, et cetera, and they send it to the Senate. The Senate sends vouchers over to the House, and all things die because they all get taken hostage. And the irony of that is the the voucher the voucher proponents want to give money to people that aren't accountable or aren't tested. At the same time, they want to test and keep our public schools accountable. Mm -hmm. And so the, the gulf in the intellectual consistency there is anything but ironic. Uh, so I, I just, um, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not optimistic that anything gets passed because I think, unfortunately, and I hope I'm wrong, I really do, but I think yeah. 
there's going to be a lot of hostages taken and everybody's going to say you move first or we're not moving. But Chairman, you wanted to say, say something. Let me, let me go back to the concept of the portfolio because it was oh. discussed a lot this summer. Very think, popular. Very popular. Survey. I think most of the educators and parents believe that it's the better way to yeah. teach writing. And yet politically, the House moved toward that portfolio assessment issue for writing and it promptly got dumped and we barely got the pilot program, much less a broader portfolio assessment type variety. So politically, it will be a difficult session on a lot of these issues, <laughs> and that being so, a good example. So what, what we would encourage, uh, TAMSA, just as citizens, is educate your legislators. Call your senators, call your representatives. <coughs> Tell them what the problems are in your school. You're a constituent. You voted them in. You may not have, but they are your representative in state government. Let them know what the problems are. The more they hear from you, the more traction we will get. I mean, that's what happened a couple of sessions back with House Bill 5. I mean, we got people engaged, we mobilize the citizens, we mobilize the public, because whether you are to the left or to the right, this is common ground for so many parents across the state. And this is why our grassroots effort has been successful, because we're getting involved. We're saying, no, we're not gonna take this. We're not gonna take this. We like our schools, we like our community. You know, Texas is a huge state, so varied, not only in population, but also you've got the rural and the urban districts. So we need to be active. We need to mobilize. Join TAMSA. It's free. We're, um, we're running out of time. Um, the last question I'll ask before we take audience questions, if you guys want to start lining up. Um, you know, the biggest star headlines this year was uh, you know, widespread logistical and technical problems with the administration under a new vendor. Um, are you guys, um, do you guys think that's being addressed sufficiently by the Texas Education Agency? And do you think, I think so. it, it'll be, we, we won't have those headlines next year? Or Commissioner Morath has made that a high priority. He's worked on it hard with his staff. Uh, remember, we weren't, we weren't overjoyed with the previous vendor either. So uh, it's, it's a complex deal. It's, it's got a lot of technology involved in it. It's going to take a while to work through it. I think if they don't fix it better than they have in the past, they'll lose the contract. He's made that pretty clear. He's hit them for a lot of money in the pocket. So it doesn't seem like the like the they're going to lose it though. It doesn't seem like that's on the table, is it? I, I think. Oh, I think not yet. If we had if we had a problem. If, if there's if there's another problem, I think they'll lose the contract. Twenty one million dollars is a pretty good bite, I think. Five point six million. I That's think how much they were in, asked to pay in yeah. specific damages, and then the additional yeah. amount was in things that they need to do to put in place for next time. So I think I think we were appropriately strong on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, have a, I have a high degree of confidence in this commissioner's ability to to focus on the solution, not only to this, but. Right. We don't agree on everything, but I'll tell you, he's got his eye on the ball better than a lot of commissioners that I've seen over the years. And, and so I've, he's still in the honeymoon period with me because I think he's just, he understands these issues at the most granular level. Um, so I've, I'm, I'm still going to, he still has my confidence until proven otherwise. Okay. Do we have any audience questions? 
not. Do you want to come up to the microphone here? Or you can yell also, but oh, it's hard to hear. We got one at a hot mic right there. Right there. Oh, there Let's we do go. That one yeah, yeah. Okay. There uh, you. Is this on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my name is David Wiley. I'm a faculty member at Texas State University. Just a couple of things. Uh, Chairman Acock, thank you for being a reasonable voice and thinking this through because sometimes people with uh, in your political party just knee-jerk to this. I thank you. I appreciate it. I'm really sad you're retiring. And Vice Chairman Ratliff, thank you for always being reasonable about these issues and understanding what schools are going through. Um, I used to be on a school board, so I kind of get this at some level. <clears throat> but at our university, we spend millions on remediation for incoming freshmen. Yet most of our students come from Texas public schools. They pass the STAR test. They can't do basic math. They can't write a sentence at all. And we're spending millions remediating in higher ed. So what's the disconnect that they can pass this state assessment, but they have absolutely no college readiness? And our, you know, I don't have an exact number. I know we're well over 20% of our freshmen require at least one remediation course, yet they all march right through the STAR test. That's been something that the business community has really harped on. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take part of that. I think the writing deficiency is systemic and deeply systemic. Absolutely. In, in our whole process. Writing is about writing and rewriting and editing and correcting and fixing. And, and when we moved especially to that 26 line, write it one time and turn it in. I find that very troubling, and I think we've taught that way now for several years, and it's getting worse. Additionally, we have language issues that are prevalent throughout the state, not just Spanish, but many other languages that are difficult to, to translate those thoughts into English language. To the math, kids are just struggling with math and our testing system compounds the reading and the math together. I'd be happy, quite honestly, if kids just mastered basic arithmetic first. Uh, I know that's not a real high bar, and I get critiqued for saying that sometimes, but unless you understand basic arithmetic first, the advanced algebraic concepts and advanced mathematics concepts of statistics and algebra and things like that are just never going to get in there. And I think we move so quickly toward those concepts without basic mastery of the fundamentals of, of arithmetic and basic math that, that we, we push right past the basics very often to try to get to these higher levels. And unless they master those basic concepts early on, third, fourth, fifth grade, uh, it's going to be very difficult to change that. I think it's a, a couple of things. One, and I think the board recognized this and have already started taking steps in it, we're trying to teach too much within an academic year. And so we're skimming along the tops instead of truly getting down into content mastery, which means they retain it. Because if you learn it, or if you're taught it long enough to take a test over it, and then you go away for a summer and you come back, or you graduate, there's, no, there's not as much retention as there should be. And that's a too much material in an academic year problem, and that we've, we've recognized and we're working on. The second, and I use my own daughter as an example, when she took the star writing test, or no, she was a tax baby. When she took the tax test, she made a one out of three on the writing test, but she made a perfect five on the AP test. And colleges look at AP. So somebody's out of step. Is it us? Is it AP? If y'all are giving college credit for AP tests, something tells me it's not the AP test. 
and she's been a strong writer. So that's why, personally, I've been an advocate for the portfolio because kids that are good writers that may not be able to write to the rubric that's being graded by a, somebody hired off Craigslist to grade the writing test, uh, I, I just don't think is the highest and best measurement for kids that can write and enter your university able to write, regardless of the subject area. And not all people are hired off Craigslist to grade the test. I don't want to give that, but <laughs> some of them are. Right. One of the things that I think would help address that issue is here. that we're not providing feedback that actually says where are the gaps uh, when it comes to the way we're doing assessments. Uh, we've concentrated really hard on the collection of data and not so hard on the delivery of data in a usable fashion. And I think that's something that I'm hoping as we go to that next generation that we'll be concentrating on just as much about faithful connection, collection of data as, as we are on the delivery of the data and spend much more time working on that. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kevin Townsley. I live in Cedar Park, Texas. I have an eighth grader and a ninth grader. Um, I have a couple of questions that I'm interested in. One is the, can you identify the school district where 20,000 parents gathered? Yeah. Actually, um, <coughs> sorry, gathered gathered for what? They, they, well, oh, sorry. gathered the signatures. Okay. Oh, the petition, yeah. So we had, um, out of one school district, this was in Wimberley, there were 20,000 students, or, or 20,000 parents that came and signed a petition to take to the House Public Education Committee to say, look, there's a disconnect between what our kids are needing to know and learn and how they're being tested. And I think that's exactly, go. I mean, it just travels up the line to the previous gentleman's um, question. That's our concern as parents. They're, they're, we're chasing the star test, but then our kids are not coming out college and career ready. And our SAT and ACT scores are starting to plummet. And they're starting to hate school. Exactly. And I have kids who love school, and now I'm seeing that unhappiness. And there's another question I have is, you talked about um, bringing it down to the local levels for the local school boards, and I, I do see where that can be problematic because, again, these are political races where people, I mean, when I start campaigning for people for school board, I'm, I'm not on the school board, I just help people get elected. I, you know, the eyes glaze over, please go away, they don't want to talk to me, it's so important. But how would that work if it went to the local level? Well. In, in my neck of the woods, which is a very rural part of the, my, I've got 181 school districts that have an average of about 1,700 kids in them. And it takes maybe 400 votes to get elected or unelected to a school board. Whereas when I ran for the state board, I've got 31 counties and 1.6 million people. And so if parents are provided the information of how their schools are doing, it's a whole lot easier to replace your local school board than it is a state board member or a legislator for hundreds of thousands of dollars in an election. So I think accountability starts right there in the, at the local Dairy Queen with school board members. You, you live, eat, and breathe that stuff. And so I, I just, I think it's, you get a lot, and, and I think the other benefit of it is, like we're dealing with the special ed issue that just arose, when the state tries to come in and solve an acute problem with a statewide solution, unintended consequences happen. And so the more localized the solution can be, if a school district, declares their whole football team as special ed to get them out of football, those school board members either need to fix it or be replaced. But to come in with a TEA solution that addresses a statewide ratio for a number of special ed kids, 
that's that's an over solution. It's it's an overdoing of the problem. So that's and it may sound simplistic or kind of overly idealistic, um, but I have been accused of being overly idealistic <laughs> in the past. One, one other question. I don't want to hog it up, but what happens if 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 the parents just got together and said, "We're sitting out Star Day. We're just going to sit it out." I just want to know what y'all think would happen because. We have the ability to do that. As parents, we have the ability to get together and go, we're not going that day. Or we're going to go, but we're not going to take the test. We don't want our district to lose the money from being absent because they will lose the money. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. We just don't want our, what if we said, well, we're not going to, I love the fact that y'all understand. For years, I've been telling my kids, it's one day. It is not, it doesn't show the breadth of your work. It, it just shows one day how you did. Did you wake up late? Are you hungry? Whatever. Teresa, do you guys advocate opt-out? We would say and we would support parents to do whatever they think is necessary in the best interest of their child, particularly around this test. And so for opt-out, let me just answer you this one question. Houston Independent School District is the only district in the state of Texas, to my knowledge, that has an opt-out policy. So if Cedar Park is interested, they might want to contact Houston and get an idea as to what they're doing because they've actually arranged for children, and they had over 500 children. that They had children that said, we're not taking the test. Parents said, we're not having our kids take the test, but we want to, we, we want to support our schools. And so there was, it, it's, it's a huge effort. It has to be something that the parents engage in, that the parents get involved with, and that they encourage and ask their school to provide other activities. And that's what Houston ISD did. So I would recommend that your school district contact them to see what they're doing for their opt-out policy. But they're the only one in the state that I know of that has that policy. Does it affect them financially? To opt out? Well, it all depends. I mean, if they um, if they show up for school that day, that's not going to count against them for their what is it, the WADA? Yeah, the ADA. But but there is, um, you know, I think I think in terms of nationally, there's a 95 what is it a 95 percent requirement that that all students 95 percent of the students have Take to the test. federal so requirement. Federal requirement. Federal requirement. This is, yeah. I mean, you know, you're talking about civil disobedience. And Con I conscientious objectors. Yeah. Conscientious <laughs> objectors. Chairman, do you want let, to let me Let me caution you that there are, A, there are financial implications to your district, certainly if they don't go to school that day, and B, if it's a year that requires a test for promotion or graduation, let's say you opt out a senior that doesn't mm -hmm. complete their required tests, uh, it hasn't gone to court yet in Texas, I don't believe, but I think at some point it probably will to see whether the TEA will enforce the non-graduation or non-promotion policies that are based on those tests. Hmm. Uh, so you, you run the risk with that civil disobedience of having civil consequences as well. We're a few minutes over. We have time for one more question. Just one quick question for the panel. If we did eliminate STAR, what would you replace it with? Well. Simple question. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. Well, um. <laughs> I, I, candidly, I think we've got other nationally normed tests that would adequately do the job. Here's the problem, is you have a hysteria of the wolf at the gate known as Common Core. 
and any test that is aligned to Common Core is thereby not a valid measurement because we're Texans and we write our own standards. Get it. There's a lot of overlap between ours and the other standards out there, but uh, I don't think politically you'd ever get there because of the Common Core knee-jerk hysteria. And, and there are some valid concerns about the different curriculum, I get it, but if, if the two largest recipients of our finished product, business and college, don't look at our test results, then why are we doing it? They all look at SAT, ACT, some look at the Iowa test. So there are other ways to do it that matches our conclusion with the entry point for college and career. And so that, to me, is the disconnect, is our measurement is not the same as their measurement. Uh, it's like we're on the metric system and everybody else is on the standard system. But that's just where we are. But I, I think there are other valid replacements out there if you can get over the, the political nausea of using them. Not to call on you again, Teresa, but I mean, yeah, I would love to hear from right. you on this, this one. Well, and I would have to agree with um, Vice Chairman Ratliff. I, I mean, I think that you know, colleges look at SAT, ACT, bottom line. Our state colleges, our premier state colleges look at that. And I think at some point, this is where I'm telling you as citizens need to educate your legislators and say, I don't care what it's called. This is what my kid is being held to. And my kid is not making the scores that they need to based on what they're learning in high school. So what are you going to do about it to get my kid there? I think until the citizenry rises up and speaks to this, only then will they listen. Because at the end of the day, it's a set of standards. And granted, we've also got our TSI, which that does help with dual credit. But really, that's what it comes down to is doing national recognized tests and, and having our, our citizenry meet that standard in addition to, and again, our high performing con schools consortiums group has looked at the idea of looking at multiple measures. I mean, there's, there's several ways to get to that college readiness or career readiness. But, but those, but STAR does not give you that. And you guys are not advocating for getting rid of all testing. No, no, I don't no. Think we, we want to know how our kids are doing. We'd mm -hmm. like to have a test that is diagnostic, gives us information, tells us where our strengths and weaknesses are for our Real children. Time. I mean, when I was in school in Texas many years ago, I took the Iowa test of basic skills. And my teacher met with with my parents, and, and it was a very non-stressful day. We went in, we put our books away, we took out our number two pencils, and we took the test. But yet, we got a measure of where I was on reading and math and various other measures, it, and it was something that was helpful and an intervention could be made. Right now, this particular system does not allow for that. Instead, it's hamstringing the teachers, their time to the test is Chairman Ratliff has said it, it is, it's just skimming the surface. It's not going deep. I mean, we're, we're sort of, we're cheating a whole generation of students and many generations of students of an excellent education that our state could provide at the cost of, and I might add, for STAR alone, a quarter of a billion dollars, your taxpayer dollars. I'm going to, Chairwoman, do you want to weigh in? I'm going to get in trouble if I let this go too much longer. Yeah, but all I was just going to say yeah. is I really like the TSI test, the Texas Success Initiative test. Okay. Uh, it's a Texas-based 
College of Career Readiness Standards, Texas College of Career Readiness Standards. It's adaptable. It's been um, verified by the College Board because they developed it in collaboration. I think it could be adapted over time, uh, particularly for high school, to uh, assess college readiness and that sort of thing. And it is very informative about where you are and where the gaps are. I think something like that, that kind of adaptability, but that we've got to get all schools connected, which is another issue on, on broadband access. Uh, we don't want to have a digital divide because we've not provided broadband access because that's okay. a computer adaptive test. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs>